Hey everybody, this is Tony Bancroft, and I gotta say, I'm just so excited to be a part of Great Big Beautiful Podcast with Jamie and Justin. They just interviewed me. I feel honored. I got like Disney dust freaking all over me right now, and I feel all effervescent and Disney magical. Bill quit, and Walt Disney needed to finish the movie. He recruited me for the story department, a job that I didn't even want. When Walt Disney comes knocking, you can't exactly turn him down, right? You do not say no to Walt Disney. Hi, this is TJ from Fredericton, New Brunswick, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Episode 26 starts right now. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Woohoo! My voice is gone. <laughs> How you doing, Jamie? <laughs> I'm I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. How are you, Justin? I am doing good. I'm getting over a bout of sickness, but I'm good to go now. Excellent. And we're here to record probably I, I say this all the time, but this is seriously probably going to be one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. Yeah, I know you say that every week. I know. And we and, and every week we say, well, that this is just the best one ever. And we we oversell it every week. <laughs> but really, people, this one's so good. This one is legit. <laughs> um, we're talking to Disney legend Floyd Norman, who yeah. has worked with Walt Disney himself. Jamie, why don't you tell us a little bit more about him? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, that and that is um Disney Legend with a capital D, capital L. He actually received the Disney Legend Award in 2007. Um, Floyd Norman has a history with the Walt Disney Company that goes back to 1956 when he was just a teenager, started working for the company, um, and he did. He was an in-betweener on Sleeping Beauty, and uh, he, Walt Disney, the man, was his boss. So. Um, he was there at a time when Walt was still there and still very much engaged and active in the company. And um, Floyd still works for Disney. He's not he's not full time. He's not like on the clock. He they bring him in for consulting and contract and, and freelance work. So he has a, a lot more freedom to just enjoy what he's doing. But um, he still works for the company decades later. Um, he has no no inclination to retire. Um, he's just enjoying the heck out of life and the heck out of the work that he's doing. And, uh, if this, this is, um, this is, this is quite a chat we have. So I hope you guys are in for, in for a treat. Yeah. In, in this conversation, he touches on what Walt Disney was actually like. If the myths and legends are true, we also, if, get the, in, if the criticisms are true, exactly. Yeah. And we also touch on what it was like, uh, to come in as such a young person, into the animation field, and it's going to be a great interview. So get ready. You're about to be entertained. Well, 
Well, Floyd, thank you so much for joining us today. This just is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, so thank you so much for, for making time for us today. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to do so. Um, I guess the most logical place to start is um, a long time ago. <laughs> um, yeah. you, you began uh, at Disney when you were basically still a kid. Um, and it was 1956. You were still a teenager, I believe. Um, but yet you were yeah. you were working I with either. Anna. I was either. I was probably 19 or 20. Yeah. yeah. So you were you were just a kid, um, but you were working with animators and artists who were a good deal older than you. And I'm right. wondering, you know, just starting off your career like that, was that did that intimidate you at all? Well, it was intimidating uh, simply being at the Walt Disney Studio. Yeah. Uh, keep in mind, keep in mind what a prestigious place this this was for young artists. To just, and you know, I, w- I would have been delighted just to simply have a tour of this Disney <laughs> studio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, be, to be, yeah, to be considered an employee was more than I ever could, uh, you know, have imagined. But, uh, yeah, so we were all, all of us kids who started out here, we were all intimidated by the masters that surrounded us. Was Disney your first job in animation? It was my first animation job, not my first cartooning job. Okay. I began I began cartooning while still in high school. I, I was working for Archie Comics <laughs> when I was still a high school. Yeah, when I was still a high school student in Santa Barbara. Okay. So, what, was Disney yeah. was Disney the dream place of employment for people in your line of work? Oh, it was. It it was. Uh, especially, I, I told my first employer, uh, Bill Wagen who I worked with at Archie Comics, that my dream, even though I was grateful to have the opportunity to work for Archie, I was, my dream was still to work for Disney. And Bill understood that. He understood why I wanted to go to Disney. Disney was, you know, the animation mecca and and all eager young animators wanted to work for uh, for Disney. Right. So how did it come about switching over to Disney? Was, was it like an open job application or did you know someone or how did you get in there? Well, it began right out of high school. I, I literally graduated from Santa Barbara High School, right. hopped in my car, and drove down to Burbank. Uh, luckily, Burbank was only about 90 miles away from Santa Barbara. So, you know, uh, at least the Disney studio for me was, uh, you know, it was accessible. It wasn't that far away. Not like some kids who would come all the way from, say, back east or in the Midwest mm-hmm. who, had, who had to travel a long way. I only had like an hour and a half drive from my hometown to get to Disney. So what does, I mean, you 19 year olds today still pretty much have no idea what they want to do. And you at 19 were already living the dream. I mean, you were exactly where you wanted to be by the end of your career. And that's where you started. So like, what does that do to you? Like when you just start off where most people would be happy to end their career and you just jump in, that's where you (laughs) begin. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I find it hard to believe that a lot of kids are going through school having no idea uh, what their goal is, you know, no plans for the future. Some are in college and they have no idea why they're going to college, mainly because their parents, because their parents (laughs) wanted them. That's exactly. But, but no plans for their future, you know, no, no real goal. For me, uh, I always knew I wanted to be an artist, even if I didn't know 
what kind of an artist I knew I wanted to at least be drawing pictures <laughs> for a living. And, and all of this began to become more focused when I was in middle school because that's when my love of filmmaking and my love of art came together. And I, I recognized that animation would bring together these two disciplines. So what could be better? Uh, the world of filmmaking, the world of telling stories, the world of drawing pictures, it all came together in animation. And so Disney was just the natural place to go. It became, it became my goal even while in middle school. And everything I did uh, subsequently was all focused on getting me to Walt Disney. Yeah, that's remarkable. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think what is probably maybe a little bit unfairly um, most impressive, I don't, I don't think that it's the most impressive thing um, about your, your body of work, um, but yeah. I, I think what impresses a lot of people today is that you actually worked with Walt Disney himself. Um, and you yeah. just don't meet many people today that can say that. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of that was just done luck, too. Keep in mind that the way things come together in your life, sometimes it's just a matter of incredible luck. Yeah. Uh, I, I, rec I recognize that. It's important to be prepared. It's, it's important to be ready to take advantage of opportunity. But sometimes opportunities come your way just out of the blue. As sure. it did for John Lasseter uh, and Pixar. Uh, Pixar was going out of business yeah. uh, when they got that offer from Disney to make a movie. And that movie changed the entire course of that company. It changed so the industry. It changed the industry. And, it cha and yeah, and ultimately it changed the whole animation industry. So some of these things just happened by yeah. caprice. Yeah. But I'm, I'm wondering, because by the time you started, 1956, you came on during Sleeping Beauty, um, right. Walt and the company, but Walt particularly, he was already uh, like a, a cultural icon. Like he wasn't just, he, he was. wasn't just a man. I mean, he was even, even yeah. then he was, he was a legend. And, um, oh, yeah. yes, so he I, was. Yeah. I mean, just as a, as somebody in animation, somebody who wants to draw pictures for a living, that, that must've affected you not to, not to just say, Oh, I'm working with Walt Disney, but I'm working with a legend in my field. It didn't have to be him, but it's just a legend in my yeah. field. That must've been overwhelming. Yeah, it was. It was. And keep in mind that when I arrived at Disney, I was with uh, a dozen or so young kids. Uh, the studio was actively uh, recruiting new artists, new talent, because they had to beef up their art staff in order to get all of these projects done. Uh, I had the good fortune to come to Disney at a very busy time. So there's no better time to start a new job. Yeah. Which, you know, when th things are active, we had so many things going. Walt was not only doing short cartoons uh, and feature-length cartoons, he had just entered television. Mm -hmm. He was doing a, a, a weekly television show, and he was doing a daily television show. And the Disney studio was just going gangbusters. They were not only expanding, they were exploding. And so we got there at, at exactly the right time. Yeah. So your, yeah. your, your history with Disney stretches back quite a ways to Sleeping Beauty. Um, do you have a favorite project that you've worked on through the years? Yeah, people have asked me that question over and over. And, you know, not really. Uh, Back when you're a Disney employee, you're basically going from job to job and from film to film. 
And so you, you don't really choose favorites. Uh, every job is a little bit different. Uh, that, that much I can say, every job is somewhat different. But, you know, you look back on it and you find aspects of each project, you know, interesting or fascinating. Or you remember a particular people you worked with, a particular artist or a particular voice talent or something about the job that made it special or unique. You don't think about it. You don't put it in some kind of a historic historical context at the time because at the time it's just another job. Right. Uh, it's only it's only when you look back on it decades later and you say, "Oh my gosh, I was working with <laughs> you know this famous person, or I was in the room with so and so, and I, I can't believe I had that opportunity." Again, at the time it seems mundane because it's your daily routine. It's only looking back, you know, in retrospect, that you realize, wow, <laughs> what, an, what an incredible thing uh, happened to me on that particular day. Yeah, you, you must have a lot of days like that that you can look back on and just say, wow, <laughs> what, what, oh, yeah. what a hand I've been dealt. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's how you feel when you look back on a long career. And you just realize, not that a lot of people come up to me and they think I'm some kind of a genius. And I said, look, I was just lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so when the opportunity came along, uh, I took advantage of it. But it's not because I was, you know, brilliant. I just happened to have what was needed mm-hmm. at that particular time. Uh, I got to be a story man on the Jungle Book, uh, mainly because Bill Pete quit. Uh, and that changed my career. If Bill Pete hadn't got set up and walked off the movie, um, maybe my life would have had a, taken a different path altogether. But when Bill quit and Walt Disney needed to finish the movie, he recruited me for the story department, a job that I didn't even want, <laughs> a job that I had never, yeah, a job that I had never applied for, never had any interest in, and all of a sudden, I found myself uh, a story development artist uh, uh, simply because, yeah, a guy quit. <laughs> when Walt Disney comes knocking, you can't exactly turn him down, right? <laughs> and you you do not you do not say no to Walt Disney. That's right. <laughs> but I mean, he he handpicked you. So I mean that I mean you, you're you're being very modest by saying you're not a genius and you just had the skills to put you in the right place at the right time. But he still well, picked you, right? Yeah. Well, he picked Walt. Picked everybody. I mean. The choices that were made at the Disney studio were always made by Walt. So I was only one of many people that, uh, you know, in a sense was blessed by the hand of Walt Disney, who just uh, one day came my way and said, hey, I want that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had a lot of friends who, who were also chosen the same way. And Walt said, hey, I want that guy over here <laughs> or, or I want that guy over there. Uh, he just did that. That was the way he operated. It was his studio. He was he was maestro. He made those decisions. Hmm. You mentioned yeah. you mentioned Bill Pete, and that's actually a perfect segue because the very next question I wanted to ask you is: I'm I'm a huge fan yeah. of Bill Pete, especially his um, the the children's books he did after leaving Disney. Um, Me too. I, yeah. I I grew up with them. I have very fond memories of them, and I've since collected most of them, and I read them to my own kids now. Uh, and you worked sure. on a number of projects together with him. And I'm just wondering because. He was story and you were art and animation. So I'm wondering, did you ever have the opportunity to work directly with him? 
Never did. Never not did. Not once. Not once in my entire Disney career. Uh, Bill Bill Pete's path uh, crossed with mine <laughs> a number <laughs> of times, and yet we never worked together. Uh, That's remarkable. Over, you did a, yeah, it is, a number it is. of movies together, too. Well, it's one of those things where, where Bill Pete came to Disney in the 1930s. Yeah. You know, so he was with the company a long time. Uh, Pete was already legendary as a story man by the time I arrived in the 1950s. Pete was already uh, well established and had uh, a good deal of uh, work under his belt. Uh, so he was already a master by the time I arrived at the studio. And I used to sneak up to his office on occasion just to look at his storyboards. But keep in mind, we were all we were all young kids, and we were intimidated by the old Disney masters yeah. so much so that we didn't even dare talk to them because we were so, uh, I guess, in awe of them. Keep in mind, these were the guys who made the movies we saw as children. Yeah. So you can imagine how we felt. We didn't see ourselves as worthy <laughs> <laughs> of even of even talking to them, and so. We were so intimidated. We would wait until they would leave their office, and then we would sneak, then we would sneak in and, and and look at their work. So, in all the years, I never never even met Bill Pete. Saw him on a number of occasions. Saw his work all the time, but never actually worked with him. Uh, I don't believe I ever even spoke to him the whole time I was there because I think I was too intimidated. What, to was, even walk up. <laughs> was he an approachable kind of guy? Like, was he friendly or was it just that you're, you were just too intimidated? Oh, no, I don't think this was because the old guys were unfriendly. Yeah. Uh, I think we were just too intimidated to even, to even approach them. It, it, it must be kind of strange to now see that the tables are turned. You know, you, you wander around Disney now and I'm sure a lot of the young animators there feel the same way when they see you coming. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I hope, that, <laughs> I, I hope that, I hope they would look at me as being a guy who was very approachable and, and not some sort of a standoffish, you know, legend or something. Yeah. Well, you, you would, are, you are though, you are, you know, capital Z, capital L, you've been anointed as the Disney legend. <laughs> yeah. So they tell me, <laughs> so, so, so I'm told. You've got I the little statue to prove it, right? Yeah, I got the, it's a big statue. <laughs> it's not a little one. That statue is huge. Really? Take, takes up most of my living room. It's a, it's a gigantic statue. Yeah. But no, <laughs> it, it's a real, it's a real honor. And uh, it was presented to me by Roy Edward Disney, wow. Walt Disney's nephew. And, and that was special all by itself to, to have, uh, to be on stage with Roy yeah. and to have him, to have him say nice things about me. It was, it was kind of like an acceptance in, into the Disney family. And and I've been really lucky to not only have been accepted by the Disney studio, but in to a very real way, Walt Disney's family as well. Uh, Diane Disney Miller, Walt's daughter, became a good friend. Uh, that was something I never expected. Mm. This past weekend, I spent the weekend with uh, Ron Miller and his family. Mm. Ron, of course, was the, the husband of uh, Diane Disney. And uh, Ron and his kids uh, have become, you know, good friends. So, I mean, how many people get to hang out with Walt Disney's grandchildren <laughs> and, and, and Walt Disney's son-in-law? I mean, that's, that's something that's pretty special. And to be at Disneyland, to, to be at the park 
Walt's dream, the park that Walt created, and to celebrate the 60th anniversary of Disneyland and to be with the, uh, the grandchildren of Walt Disney yeah, uh, at Disneyland. That, that was uh, pretty amazing. That's amazing. Something that something that's amazing to me is often when people pass away in the years following, they become more of a myth or a legend. And I, I just read yeah. recently the blog post uh, that you wrote. I'm not sure when you wrote it, but it was about working with Walt himself. And something that really oh, yes. something that really stood out to me was how much admiration you have for him. And it seems that he wasn't. He's not just the myth that we've created. He actually was that man. The way that you talked about him. Yeah, that's very true. And and if you had you know ever had the opportunity to speak to the various people who worked you know side by side with Walt Disney, and and you know we're not all gone. There are a lot of us still around. Guys like uh, Javier Atencio and, and Bob Gurr and uh, Marty Scalar and uh, gosh, I could go on naming names, but all of us feel a, a special affection. For, for Walt Disney. Uh, Imagineers like Roly Crump, who was a friend of mine, who spoke so highly of his friendship uh, with Walt. Walt was not only uh, a boss, not only our leader, but a good friend as well. Uh, for me, because I was a kid, he was more like uh, the old grandpa, because he was probably the age of my, gran- of my grandparents at the time. But even with that, uh, he was still uh, he was still a great guy, and uh, as I often say, the best boss I've ever had. <laughs> not not many people can say that. <laughs> no, no, that's right. That that's pretty rare, and and especially in a business like this. Keep in mind, we're talking about the entertainment business. Right. We're talking about Hollywood. We're talking about an uh, an area of film production and television and and, and uh, entertainment where there's so much skullduggery and treachery, you know, <laughs> and, and to be at, and to be at Disney, that was a family friendly company where Walt's uh, goal was to provide uh, a safe and fun environment for families, for children. And, and well, the, the Disney company was unique, you know, in, in that sense, because it did provide something that no one else really provided. Uh, entertainment for the whole family, where you could take you could take grandpa, you could take the, the youngest kid. Uh, you go to a Disney movie, you go to a Disney theme park, you go to a Disney any Disney experience was wholesome, happy, joyful, optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Walt was an idealist, and maybe all of us who worked for him were also idealists. We did see a better world, and we wanted the world to be better for everybody. And, and Walt always emphasized those goals of doing the best work and, and providing a safe and secure environment and just bringing happiness to millions. Uh, what better goal than that? Uh, that is beautiful. And it's something that unfortunately <clears throat> is not only not appreciated as much anymore, but it's almost looked down on. I feel like, you know, yeah. when, when people think about not just Disney, but when people think about yeah. things, you know, properties or companies that are, you know, quote unquote family friendly, or, you know, it's good for, yeah. it's, it's wholesome. Wholesome is not necessarily right. a comp. <laughs> it's not a compliment anymore. Yeah. And that's yeah, unfortunate. That's pretty, yeah. Well, you know, I think the one thing that, that shows me that uh, those ideals still live on is because I look at the crowds at Disneyland. People still come. and they, They're they, bigger they than ever. The, 
bigger than ever. They come in droves, you know, and so that means people are still looking for something. Uh, one woman I spoke to said uh, she's never happier uh, than when she's at, at Disneyland. She she goes there and she finds real joy and fulfillment just being at the park, you know. Yeah. So you touched on this a little bit earlier uh, when you were working on the films in the 50s and 60s. You were talking about that you just moved on project to project. Did you ever, when you were working on something, ever imagine that it would become a classic like it is considered now? Or was it something you just, you never even put it into your mind when you were working on it? No, I don't think uh, any creative person, when they work on a project, thinks about it becoming, you know, some kind of a, a classic. I, I think at the time we're doing it, it's a job. It, it's our work. And you want to do the best job possible. You know, you want to give it your all. Um, it's really the public that decides whether or not you are, you are successful. Uh, they're the final arbiter. Uh, so we do a job, and sometimes we think we've done okay. Sometimes we feel we haven't done quite good enough. But then again, it's the public that tells you. Now, for instance, back in 1966, we finished up a little film called The Jungle Book. <laughs> and we looked at that film and said, well, you know, we got it done. The old man seems to like it. <laughs> but we had a lot of misgivings about that film. We really did. We just didn't think we had done our best work. And yet this film... Uh, was released in 1967, I believe, and it just went out there and it found an audience, and audience audiences just love that film. And people come up to me today, you know, over 50 years later, and say, "Wow, The Jungle Book is my favorite movie." And you just say thank you, and you can't believe that something <laughs> you worked on so many years ago <laughs> it, it has done so well. Right. But we, we didn't, we never anticipated that, you know, we never saw it coming. Well, and I often hear people today say that Sleeping Beauty was one of their favorite uh, animation, like it has some of their favorite animation sequences of all time in it. And that's in history. That's yeah. their favorite. So that must be awesome yeah. to hear from people. <laughs> well, it really, it really is. And keep in mind, it's also, these films are a collaborative effort. Right. Uh, so many, so many people are involved in making up, uh, you know, these Disney films. Uh, Sleeping Beauty had a, a, a team of around 600 people. Considering, you know, you've got animators and voice talent and musicians and, and painters and all of these various disciplines all coming together to make this remarkable movie. So, you know, it, it's a team effort and, and it's always great to be part of a great team. And so uh, I often tell people, don't give me too much credit. I'm just <laughs> one teeny tiny person in this big group, and we're all pulling together to make a good film. And if we made a film that you enjoyed, so much the better. You know, I'm glad you liked it. Uh, we had fun doing it. Uh, almost every project I work on, you know, we look back and uh, we look at the fun we had. And, uh, you know, I think those are the positive aspects of, of doing any job. You just remember the good times. And even though you may have had some long nights, you know, it's still, you feel like you've done something worthwhile. And that's really what this job is all about, is doing something that will, that will last. And long after we're gone, people will still be watching these uh, amazing films. 
Oh, absolutely. And and you know yeah. that Disney is going to survive and they're going to every 10 years they'll 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 bring out every film and you know that they're just going to keep <laughs> keep um yeah. reminding everybody of of the beauty that some of these films really were and it's just going to keep them at the forefront. So um oh, yeah, yeah, it's and, it's remarkable and, to be able to work on something that will you know it's going to outlive you and that's a beautiful thing, I think. Oh, it is. It is when I I think about some of the films that I worked on, you know, decades ago. And they're still around. And what's what's so great is they always find a new audience, yep. because there's always more kids yeah. who haven't seen who haven't seen the film, and for them, it's a brand new motion picture. Yeah, it's not an old it's not an old film for them. It's a brand new film. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially with those films from like the 40s through the 60s, so many of yeah. them are, are really just timeless. You know that there's exactly. there's nothing yeah. in them that dates them. The messages are still you know pure and beautiful, and and right. uh, they they do they 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 reach new audiences very easily because there's. Kids today, I mean, my, my kids will watch those yeah. movies. They don't see them as old movies. You know, those are, no, those are new no, movies. No, they don't, yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. And that, that's that's remarkable to be able to make a product mm-hmm. that remains, you know, forever fresh and new. That's pretty impressive. A lot of things get old. They become, you know, old-fashioned. They become vintage. But a Disney film, it seems, is always fresh and new. Yeah, it lives on. You know, yeah. Um, you mentioned... Um, you know, when you were working on those movies that they were just, they were just the job and they were just, you, you, you do your best job and, and you do what you can. Um, right. and you never really considered that they were going to become classics decades later. But I think, I think working on, you know, Disney animated features today must carry kind of a different weight because every film that Disney and or Pixar put out, they're probably considered this is, of course, going to be a future classic. This is, of course, people are going to be watching this 20, 30, 40 years from now. And I wonder if that yeah. puts an unfair burden on those creators and the animators and the storytellers who are working now because they're just they're expected to succeed and create these classics. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, every artist has to deal with what he or she is doing and how that film is going to be received. You know, when I went up to Pixar in the 90s, now keep in mind, this is decades after I started in the 1950s. So by the 90s, there was a, a, maybe a different mindset uh, because now films have become digital. And yet, you know, even though things have changed and though we had a new generation of filmmakers, in a sense, you might say Walt Disney had been replaced by John Lasseter. Uh, and we had a, a bunch of young storytellers, a bunch of young directors. Uh, once again, I don't think the attitude was all that different because, you know, the old guys were eager to make a, a good film and the new guys up at Pixar were eager to make a good film. Nobody had all the answers. Nobody knew exactly everything, you know, and with that fact, we could do it perfectly. But once again, we were inspired by by that um, that foundation that Walt Disney built for us. So even though it was a new age of animation, we were still building on the foundation that the original Disney old-timers had built for us back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Here we were in the 90s doing Toy Story and Monsters Incorporated, mm-hmm. but we were still building on that same Disney foundation of visual storytelling. 
You you still contribute to Disney in a different capacity now as a freelancer. Can you ever imagine retiring for good? No, no. That <laughs> is the one thing. That is the one thing I've never considered. Uh, retirement was just uh, the point is uh, why retire? Now yeah. I know some people. Some people probably enjoy retirement, and <laughs> and that's well and good. Uh, I simply don't. Uh, I remember when I first retired. Um, I went home and I sat in my backyard and I realized that this was not good. Uh, I didn't feel, you know, okay. Yeah. I had nothing to do, but having nothing to do, uh, is not to me. That's not living. <laughs> yeah. It's not necessarily a good uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now some guys I knew wanted to play golf yeah. and that's great. They, they wanted to go out and play golf every day. Some people wanted to travel. They wanted to see the world. And that's pretty cool too. No, no problem with that. Another couple wanted to move to Hawaii and bask in the sun. That's great. Yeah. But for me, I just wanted to go on working. <laughs> and so I realized that's what I wanted to do in retirement was continue to work. But the only thing that makes my life different is the fact that as a retiree, I don't have the pressure. Right. I no longer have the pressure to build a career. You know, <laughs> that's, that's one thing I feel. I no longer have to build a career. Where do you build? Where Where do you go it, it, from where you are? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it, in a sense, it takes a lot of the heat off because you've already had your career, yeah. so you don't have to you don't have to worry about building it. Now you can just do stuff because enjoy you it. simply enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you enjoy it. Yeah. And we sh we should say that we're talking to you right now, and you're actually at Disney in your office right now, right? That's very true. Yeah. So yeah, there's not, I, yeah, not a I, moment wasted. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm sitting at a Disney desk, those those old wooden desks that were designed by Kim Weber uh, back in the uh, early 40s. Wow. This marvelous old Disney desk that still stands today, and uh, it's filled with Disney artwork. And I'm still working. Uh, my career my career is over. <laughs> no, no, it's and not over. It's still it's it's ongoing. Yeah. It's ongoing, just like yeah, you yeah. Well, <laughs> it 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 just has a slightly different trajectory. Yeah. You know, that's what's changed. Uh, I'm no longer, you know, actively building a career. I'm just continuing to do what I've always done, and that is contribute wherever I'm needed. So right now, on my drawing table, I've got a bunch of uh, paintings of the Disney characters I'm doing. I've got a storyboard uh, over here on my on my computer that is part of a new Disney, what may be a new Disney TV show. Not sure where it's going, but I'm working on that. So I'm I'm contributing uh, what I know and what I've learned in Disney, the future Disney projects, and to me, it's really great to be able to to continue to give, to continue to pass on. And to and to interact with all the young people who are here, who are just beginning their careers, you know, yeah. they're just beginning. And to now, I have the opportunity to watch them as they grow and as they learn, and hopefully they will pass on what they learn to the next generation of Disney artists and Disney storytellers. I have to imagine that you've shifted into a bit more of a mentor role too for a lot of those other people. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. 
and 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 it's well that I do that because that's what the old guys did for mm-hmm. me. Exactly. You know. So uh, I'm I'm only doing what the Disney old timers did for me back in the 1950s, back in the 1960s when they taught me. Because uh, I was a kid uh, eager to learn, and I had, of course, the best teachers in the world. Is there a noticeable difference um, at Disney between like those days when you were young and learning from the previous generation and, and today? I, I guess I'm specifically talking about like the animators and staff, not sort of like the environment, but um, in terms of the work ethic and, and the way people work there and, and, and interact. Yeah, well, you know, that's interesting when you think about the changes at Disney. Have things changed and how have they changed? There have been many changes, of mm. course, uh, over the years. Uh, I mean, keeping in mind from 1956 to 2015, uh, these dates to me sound almost like science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I think about it, I remember when we finished Sleeping Beauty and suddenly we were facing 1960. Yeah. Well, 19, uh, in those days, 1960 seemed like, wow, that's the future. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, well, time goes on. 2015 well, course, sounds, know. still sounds like the future to me too. So I know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah. It, yeah, it really does. It really does. But through all that, nothing much has changed when I think about the essence of what is Disney, you know? But yeah, the company, the company has grown by leaps and bounds. The company has grown larger. And it employs more people today than ever. There are departments and, and different buildings and different campuses. And when you think about the acquisitions of, uh, of the Muppets, of Pixar, mm-hmm. of Marvel, of Lucasfilm, and uh, I look around and I look at the walls and I see what's covering the, the walls of the, uh, the work area. Everything from uh, Mickey and Donald and Goofy to superheroes. Spider-Man and and Ant-Man and all the others, and to Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, uh, all of these uh, fascinating characters have now become part of Disney's universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all we're all you know we're now under one roof, <laughs> which is pretty incredible. Uh, who could have seen that coming? Who, no, yeah, I was just uh, going to say, who could have yeah. seen that coming? Yeah, who could have seen that coming back Bob, in Bob Iger, maybe. maybe Bob Iger. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe young Bob Iger, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's just truly amazing how things have changed. And yet, with all of that, the Walt Disney Company remains essentially that same, uh, as you said before, wholesome company that Walt created and continues to thrive by doing what it does best, and that is providing wholesome family entertainment. That is finding a market out there. I mean, the marketplace uh, speaks, and the Disney films have been successful, and uh, whatever we're doing, apparently, we're doing it right. So, you know, there you have it. So with the dominance of CG, CG animation, would you still recommend your career to a young artist interested in animation? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, you know, uh, and we've had this argument back and forth. Uh, how has uh, the introduction of technology affected uh, animation? 
I spoke about this just a, a month or so ago when I was up at Apple at the uh, Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference. Mm -hmm. And I went to Apple to speak about uh, how Walt Disney has continued to innovate over the years. Uh, technological innovation at Disney is nothing new. It's been, it's been going since the 1930s. And it continued through the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s to present day. Uh, the tools will always change because technology continues to move forward and the artists gain new tools. But what CGI has done for the animation industry, and not just Disney, but for animation in general, animation is a huge business, business today. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, when I came into the business as a young kid, there were probably maybe three active studios in Hollywood. Walt Disney Studios, Warner Brothers, and Walter Lentz. Mm -hmm. Well, if you were looking for a job, you probably had your choices <laughs> of three <laughs> studios to choose from. Today, you have dozens and dozens and dozens of choices because animation is that big. That not only across the United States, but around the world. So animation is a huge business. There are more jobs available today than I could ever have imagined back in, in the 1950s where animation was such a fringe business. Uh, parents would advise their kids to get a real job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> don't, don't go into animation because even if you're good, I mean, I mean, what are your chances of getting a job at maybe three studios, okay. you know? But but today you've got you've got uh, oh boy I can't even name the studios uh, big and small and every size in between so animation is thriving today and I would certainly recommend it for anybody who wants to get into the business. Do you ever think that we're going to see a another hand drawn feature from Disney? I would like to think so. I would like to think so because I don't think the uh, the wonderful medium of hand drawn animation is going to go away. Yeah. There's still too many people who love it. There's still too many people who love drawings. I do know that uh, the business model changed in the 90s when uh, it, there was a perception that the only animated films that can make money were CG mm -hmm. uh, animated films. I don't. I don't think. I think we're going to eventually grow out of that. I think anytime anything new comes along, it sort of becomes the de facto standard. Uh, so every, everybody makes CG films today because the perception is you, you can't succeed unless your film is CGI. Yeah. But I think, like all things, that's going to change in time. And we're going to see hand-drawn animation return, uh, both at other studios uh, outside and here at Disney inside. So... Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't feel hand-drawn animation is dead by any means. There's still too many people who love the medium. Yeah. There's still too many people who who want to participate in this marvelous medium of hand-drawn. Uh, I don't think we should be battling over tools and techniques because really that's all they are. Yeah. They're just simply different tools and different techniques. Storytelling is basically what we're still all about, and how we tell that story and what tools we use to tell it. Um, those are just choices, you know, and in time we'll be making more choices in the future. Yeah. Um, I understand that floitering has made it into the D yeah. Disney lexicon as a verb. Um, and I'm just wondering if you yeah. could, could you quickly explain what that means? 
<laughs> one of our one of our young CG artists, a young animator named Avi Tuckman, uh, came up with that uh, very clever idea. He, uh, he would see me. Uh, I would tend to loiter around the studio. So you know, I was always the guy who was loitering. <laughs> so he just took he just took my name Floyd and loitering and yeah. turned it into Floydering. Floydering. And so now all of a sudden that's uh, we're gonna have to add that to the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> a, a new word to be added to the dictionary, Floydering. But uh, I, I owe that to Avi Tuckman who who came up with that uh, brilliant uh, <laughs> that brilliant idea. I like it. I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been uh it's been talked about that you were the first African American to work at Disney in nineteen fifty six. Was it a big deal at the time? Did people talk about it? No, it wasn't. And I I've often uh I was thinking about this last night as I was thinking about a television interview that we did back in nineteen seventy nine. And I noticed that interviewers for some reason the first question they always ask me is, how did it feel to get this job as a black man? Yeah. And I, I've always been slightly annoyed by that question because, like, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, I came to the studio to get a job as an artist. I didn't come to the studio as a black man. <laughs> so, but but I know I know what the interviewers are searching for. They're they're looking for some kind of a sociological you know, twist on, on, on their question. And, and, uh, certainly there have always been social problems, uh, in America and elsewhere, but my partners and I, um, my colleagues never came to the studio with any kind of an agenda. Uh, we were just young artists looking for a job and it was simply that. So when people say, how does it feel to be the first, uh, black animator at Disney? Well, I, I guess I could ask my friend Tom Yakutis how, how it felt to be the first <laughs> Lithuanian animator at Disney. Yeah, exactly. Or, or or Stan Chen, how did it feel to be the first uh, Asian animator or the or Rick Gonzalez, the first Latino animator? Uh, nobody tends to ask those questions, uh, and yet I continually <laughs> have the the question of what what did it feel like being the first African American, and I said, well, I, I was never even aware of it, and uh, I don't think most people were. Uh, looking back on it, you could say, wow, he was the first, but there was never, uh, you know, I wasn't being the Jackie Robinson of animation. Uh, furthest thought from my mind, I wasn't breaking down barriers because yeah. there simply were no barriers to break down. You were just doing a job. Uh, I was just doing a job. And so while it's true that Jackie Robinson, uh, as the, the first black uh, baseball player in the major leagues, where there was an actual barrier back in the 1940s, there was no such barrier at Disney and hadn't been. Uh, not even in the 1930s, where uh, artists of various backgrounds, Asian artists, Latino artists, uh, worked at Disney as far back as the 1930s. And I know this because I've actually met those guys. (laughs) (laughs) I've met met, uh, Bill Melendez and uh, Rudy Zamora and uh, uh, Tyrus Wong and Milton... Milton... uh, Kwan, 
so I know that uh, Walt, uh, this is why I, I get so miffed when Walt Disney is accused of being uh, a racist and anti-Semite. And I know firsthand that these charges are totally false because I met the people uh, who worked here uh, and they came from every background, from Middle Eastern right. to to you know to whatever and and so uh walt uh, continues to get this bum rap yeah of, uh, and, and he certainly doesn't deserve those those accusations well yeah i mean if it, if it were true those accusations you wouldn't have people like you wouldn't have people saying these things like what you're saying and i've, I've yeah. never anyone that actually knew him i hear them say the same thing as you and that's really sure. that's, that's really great to hear <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think because Walt was such a stand-up kind of guy, uh, people love to look for weaknesses because they they're saying this guy can't be perfect. He must <laughs> he must yeah. he must have some he must have some flaws. <laughs> so so they they keep looking for flaws. And uh, yeah, Walt Disney certainly had a flaw. He he, he certainly smoked too much. Right. <laughs> and that and that sadly uh, ended his life prematurely. So he wasn't a perfect man by any means. But uh, in so many areas of his life, he was uh, just the perfect example of what a man should be. Wow. Um, yeah. So after he passed, uh, you left Disney. Yes, and, yes I did. And, uh, so, and then during the 70s and 80s, you worked on a number of TV shows, um, many of which people of my generation remember fondly, such as you know the Smurfs, Storks, yeah. Super Friends, Alvin and the Chipmunks, all, right. all classics yeah. in my mind. Um, <laughs> and I'm just wondering if it was difficult for you to make that transition from feature animation to television. Not at all. Actually, yeah. it was uh, for many, it was a necessity. Uh, keep in mind that once Sleeping Beauty ended at Walt Disney Studios in 1959, the studio had a massive layoff. So where were all those artists going to go? And we're talking about hundreds of artists who lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, fortuitously, the new medium, well, it wasn't that new, but for the time it was, it was new. Television uh, began to have a need for more content, more programming, and more animation. A lot of those artists found jobs by going to other studios or, in many cases, starting up their own studio. So television provided employment for all those Disney artists who found themselves uh, on the sidewalk after Disney had to do massive layoffs. So artists, uh, by nature, know they have to adapt. They have to adjust. So all of the artists who had been working on Disney product suddenly had to adapt themselves to doing television Uh TV commercials, uh, shows like The Flintstones and Huckleberry Hound, uh, and they did. They did just that. So I did it as well. I, I didn't see it as anything all that difficult. You just sort of, uh, it's a different mindset. You have to work faster. You have to work cheaper. And But you're still working. You're still doing the job. You're still doing animation. You're still entertaining audiences. So... I tell people it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, it really wasn't that a lot of these Disney artists just found themselves uh, working in a, in a different manner, but we were still in the cartoon business. So there's currently a documentary being made about your life. It's in production. Is there anything you can tell us about it? Yeah, um, it was, uh, I can tell you, it was certainly a surprise <laughs> and an honor 
No, really. When you have filmmakers come to you and said, we've decided to tell, tell the story of your life and your career, uh, the first question is you always ask why. <laughs> <laughs> why do you why do you want to do this? And and uh, it was a, a true honor that they selected me as their subject. Uh, the guys are filmmakers from New York, uh, Eric Eric Sharkey and Michael Fiore. They produce uh, documentaries on various subjects, and it just so happened that one of the films they decided to produce was going to be uh, my life and my career. So I said, look, guys, it's your movie. It's your film. Uh, I'm not going to give you any notes. I'm not going to get in your way. I will cooperate with you as much as you would want me. And that's what I've done. So for the past year, we've been uh, filming. We started out shooting in New York early last year. We filmed everywhere from the San Diego Comic-Con to my hometown of Santa Barbara to the Walt Disney Family Museum to the Walt Disney Studio itself to DreamWorks to, um, I don't know, to, to a lot of places. And we spent a year filming, and now the film is in post-production. And uh, the filmmakers did post a short segment online where they gave a bit of a uh, teaser uh, yeah. of the upcoming film. Yeah, I'm just looking at so, it right so, now. So it was just posted uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And so we did a we did a panel at the San Diego Comic Con, where we formally introduced the film to audiences at the Comic Con and said, "This is a new film that's coming up." And um, it was it was a lot of fun, and it was a, a great honor. And uh, it's been a ball uh, being a part of this project, and I'm looking forward to seeing it as much as <laughs> as much as every, as much as everybody else is because I I, I want to learn more about my life myself. So. <laughs> now, how is that so going to be? Dis- I'm, I'm sorry. How's that going to be distributed? Is that going to be theatrical, or is it going to be like an iTunes download? Oh my my! See, once again, this falls to the filmmakers. Okay. Uh, I, I often tell people uh, I'm not the producer of the film. Yeah, you're just <laughs> so the subject. I, I, yeah, I'm just the subject. So how they plan to market, distribute, or sell this film, yeah. I have no idea. I will find that, out. That, yeah, that's the choice of the producers. And they may not even know yet. Uh, a lot of times they'll produce a film, and then once that film is completed, they'll go out and they'll look for a distributor, or they'll look for a buyer, or they'll look for a... Uh, you know, any number of ways. Uh, the one thing that's different about film today is there are so many different ways to to uh, to uh, get a film out there. You know, there's so many different platforms, uh, platforms that didn't even exist some years ago. So it's no longer just a big screen uh, theatrical. It's no longer just television. Now we have uh, the internet and uh, various forms of distribution. So. It'll be it'll be their choice to decide how they want to exhibit this film, and so what they eventually choose, uh, I don't know, but I'm okay with it, and I'm just excited to to be a part of it. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, some people may not really know, but you have a very active blog. You're very very active online, writing um, about various memories and and projects yeah. that you've worked on. 
And you sure. recently, um, well, recently as we've rec- as we're recording this, you recently posted about designing some title cards for Sweating Bullets, which was a doomed, right, right. A doomed project, uh, which eventually turned into yeah. Home on the Range. Um, yeah. But what I found really interesting in that, and I'm going to quote you for uh, a couple sentences here. You make a really sure. interesting statement. You say, "Quote: Call me paranoid, but it has always been my contention that." The motion picture, meaning Home on the Range, was part of a master plan, a sinister plan, (laughs) a sinister plan that would justify the dismantling of traditional hand-drawn animation at the Disney studios and send hundreds of talented artists out the door never to return. That's quite a statement. (laughs) Um, Right. I'm I'm wondering because that was it came out and I just looked it up 2004, which was not really the best of times uh, critically for the Disney uh, animated films. And I'm wondering if the was the atmosphere toward traditional animation really that toxic? Well, you know, I have to remind even when I talk to my young students that animation, for as much as we love it as an art form, it is still a business, you know, and having run my own company some years ago, I've learned that business is business. Mm -hmm. And a lot of artists, uh, a lot of artists even today fail to understand that when they're working at a cartoon studio, they're still, they're still part of the animation business. And sometimes business decisions have to be made. And sometimes these decisions are not always popular ones. Sometimes they're not ones that I agree with but there are also decisions uh, that I understand. So I have maybe a unique perspective where I come down on the side of the artist, but I also understand the business side of animation as well, because that's, that's also important. Now, what began to happen in the uh, 90s where we began to make this amazing transition from hand-drawn animation to digital animation, it, it was a very traumatic time in the animation business, uh, it, kind of a tumultuous time where difficult decisions had to be made. And I felt, and this is my own personal opinion, that Disney had to make a decision as well. Do they continue with hand-drawn animation? Do they go with all CGI animation? Or do they try to uh, continue with uh, with both? Right. And And I felt that a business decision was made and that decision was, we're going to commit totally to CGI animation, at least at least for the near future. Mm-hmm. That was the, the decision. Now, that was a very tough decision to make. And that would be a decision that would uh, perhaps anger a lot of Disney fans, uh, a decision that would anger perhaps a lot of animators and animation lovers who were going to watch a what they considered a Disney tradition be tossed overboard. And so I began to wonder if perhaps there was some plan to have traditional animated films fail at the box office so that uh, that decision to go CGI could be justified. So this was my own personal opinion. Sure. So I didn't, I didn't state this publicly because I understood it. I understood that well, you know, a company might just be thinking along that direction, that we have to justify a very unpopular decision. So what better way to justify it than have 
hand-drawn films fail at the box office. (laughs) And so it just seemed to to my trained eye, (laughs) because I'd been around a few years, I'd been (laughs) at the studio for several decades, and I thought, well, why would a studio want a film they've invested millions of dollars in to become a box office failure? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Does that is that logical? And I thought, well, yeah, it is logical. If you want a transition to happen and you want to help move it along, so you know, yeah, that's just my. Yeah, it's just my personal opinion. Well, it's completely and, logical when you explain yeah. it, but I'd never heard that yeah. before. They they would have intentionally scuttled a film just to justify the shift in direction that they wanted to go, you know, corp yeah. like from a corporate level, from a business. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 from a business. Uh, and again, once again, I'm not I'm not beating up on the company because companies sure. make business decisions, and I recognize why those decisions are made. Uh, at the time, our CEO was Michael Eisner, yeah. and Michael clearly wanted to move the company in a certain direction. And um, I'm thinking, if I were CEO <laughs> of the company, uh, how would I accomplish this? And so it just became, you know, for me, it, it just became, well, it was just obvious. Uh, and especially having having uh, run my own company, having sent in that driver's seat. Yeah. where you have to make difficult and unpopular decisions. Uh, I oftentimes have fun picking on my bosses. I, I love to beat up on managers, <laughs> and I, I love to give them a hard time. But I think the managers know that deep down inside, I'm not angry at them. Yeah, I make fun of them, but I do understand what they have to do. I do understand that they have a difficult job to, to uh, perform, yeah. and, I do, and I do understand what that job is because I've been there. So I'm not just some crazy artist, you know, uh, railing from the sidelines, calling them knuckleheads and, you know, and and, and (laughs) hating every decision they make, because I know why those decisions are often made. And and I understand why business decisions are made. So, uh, you know, and I I think I think my bosses and I picked on all of my bosses from Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera to Walt Disney. Uh, (laughs) But it's all it's all in good fun. I mean, when I pick on them, it, it's never from an attitude of deliciousness. Right. Uh, it's always it's always a good-natured poke in the ribs, where I say, "Hey, I know what you're doing," and uh, I'm on you know, to you. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on to you. I'm on to you. But uh, I'm not I'm not really upset at you. I'm just giving you a little nudge that I, I know what you're up to. It's, it so, seems uh, like there could have been a cheaper way to make that decision, though, than to make a multi-million-dollar movie fail. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you, you do what you have to do sometimes, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's that's the way that's the way things are done. And maybe there might have been another way of doing it. Uh, perhaps I would have handled it differently. Uh, but that's easy to say when you're not in the driver's seat. So, like I said, even though I, I have fun picking on my bosses, yeah. I, I understand the difficult position they're in, and. Uh, and I think most of them know that I, I've always been—I've never been a, a true adversary. Uh, I've had a good relationship with so many of the guys I worked for, from Bill Hanna, Joe Barbera, to Walt Disney, to Michael Eisner. And Michael Eisner was a pretty tough guy, but I got along with him, and uh, even did some personal projects for him, because I think Michael, uh, as tough as he seemed on the outside, 
was a pretty understanding guy. And he wasn't always the villain I, I portrayed him to be. I love I love picking on Eisner because he was such a, a for me he was just a perfect subject. And so I love I love to portray Michael as the monster. And uh, I, I think in many ways he was complimented by it because I think he knew that I wasn't uh, I wasn't like hating Michael Eisner. I was just having fun with him. Yeah, and after all, I figured he was a big boy. He could, he, he he could, could, take, he could it. take the pressure. He could take it. Yeah, you know, he's a well, rich guy. You know, <laughs> we'll have to ask him about home on the range when, when he's on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and keep in mind too that I had a lot of good friends who worked on Home on the Range, and it was never their intention to make a bad movie. You well, know, yeah, so I'm not going to pick on them and say, "Hey, you guys made a, a terrible movie, and, and it's all your fault." A lot of those guys are good friends of mine. And I recognized they were just doing a job as we all do our jobs. And I just, I just sometimes remind people that sometimes there's something bigger going on that we fail to realize. And so, um, you know, that's why things go the way they go. Uh, the Disney company is no longer a little teeny tiny startup. It is a huge <laughs> mega business and, and uh, big decisions are made and tough decisions have to be made. And, and I understand that. You know, even as an artist, I understand what goes on uh, up on those higher levels. Well, this has been fantastic speaking with you. I know you you are still there. You are still working. You're still you mentioned that you've got a couple different projects on your desk. Literally. Um, what what have you got coming up? What can people be looking forward to? Well, you know, uh, there's some things I cannot talk about because they are projects that are that are coming up. So. Uh, that's cool when I say, Hey, I got great stuff coming up and I can't tell you about it, <laughs> but there are, there, there are a number of things I can all, always say. They're certainly Disney related things that I'm working on. Some things are, are not Disney. They're animated, you know, animation related, but, uh, I still continue to keep my hands, uh, in, in the Disney projects, uh, as, as, you know, if, uh, if somebody asks me to come on board or work on a project or consult on a project, I'm always happy to do so because that's why I'm here. I'm here to share what I've learned. I'm here to basically share yeah. whatever expertise I've had. So I participated in uh, new TV shows, shows that haven't even been produced yet, uh, shows that are you know on the drawing board. They're coming up. So I still do that kind of thing. I just simply can't talk about what those shows are now because they right. haven't been announced. Of course. And 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 I'm still involved with uh, various projects that are in development here uh, because we've got a lot of things going here in terms of new technologies and uh, things that are being built uh, in the digital area. So once again, even though I'm a lover of hand-drawn mm -hmm. uh, content, I am still very comfortable in the digital world as well. So I have the opportunity to to share uh, with a lot of our digital talent here as well. So, and that's a good thing because that's the future. And yeah. uh, even though I have, I'm like Walt Disney in that sense of uh, I have a great deal of fondness for the past, but I eagerly look forward to the future as well. I think one can do both. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to join us. This has been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I never get tired of talking about Disney because it is a, uh, a subject that can go, you know, on and on and on. And uh, it, it's something that uh, audiences 
tend to love and they can't seem to get enough of it. So as long as I'm here and as long as I can talk, I'll be happy to share <laughs> my thoughts and my and my you know my time here in Disney because it's it's been it's been wonderful for me, and I think it's been uh, a joy for a lot of people. And it, it's so great to have been a part of uh, of Walt's magic for so many years. And that is all we have for this week. I think I could have talked to him. For another hour, easily. Oh, easily. We, we've said that before, but I think this one really was easy. I mean, we could... He he was more than generous with his time, but uh, yeah, we, we totally could have gone that much more again. Just talking about... I mean, we didn't really get into specific projects, you know, like right. you know, choices that were made and things, you know, like stories that he had. And um, But yeah, this that was just amazing. And the documentary that is being made about his life, I cannot wait till that comes out. I want to watch it. I want to watch it now. Yeah, I will put I will put a link to the um, the short video that they put yeah. out. I'll, I'll put a link to that on the post for this episode. Um, but everybody, keep an eye on that, and we'll we'll definitely let you know what's happening with that as we get more information about it too. Perfect. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. We always love to hear from you. Uh, we see that you're downloading our episodes, so let us know what you think. Yeah, send, leave us some reviews, leave us some comments, get in touch with us, let us know what you think. The more uh, the reviews that you leave, the better it is for helping other people find the show. Um, and uh, I know a lot of you are really enjoying these interviews and the, and, and the guests that we're bringing on. So let's try, to, let's try to get the word out and let more people know about it that might be interested in listening along. Perfect. So we will catch you next week. I'm Justin. You can find me at the one for at not the at one forty Justin C on Twitter, Instagram, Periscope, everything I'm on. And Jamie is I am Jamie and I'm the Roarbots um pretty much everywhere. Um some places more active than others. Perfect. So thanks for listening guys and we will be back with another bat no <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so lame. All right. We're gonna be back next week guys. Have a great week. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.